The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to today's meeting of the Velshi Band Book Club. Today we have two incredibly powerful books that are frustratingly timely even years after their publication. All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Keeley and Dear Martin by Nick Stone. While the characters, premise, and writing styles differ greatly between the two books, they both masterfully explore what it means to be a young black person growing up with the fear that flashing blue and red lights or the arrival of a police officer could turn deadly. Aside from books written by or about LGBTQ plus individuals, black stories are the second most targeted for ban in the United States. And is that any surprise? Black stories and black authors highlight injustices in American society with clarity that other authors simply cannot. Reynolds and Stone are writing about what they know and what they've personally experienced. And if you're lucky enough not to understand those experiences, then reading this book is just as crucial for empathy and a little bit more understanding. And of course, there's the crucial issue of representation. Imagine how it might feel to be a black student walking between the shelves in the library who cannot find a single story about a kid like them. That is the true power of stories like All American Boys and Dear Martin. Let's start with All American Boys. There's a party at Jill's house on Friday night and everybody's going, including Rashad, a 16-year-old black teen who loves drawing cartoons of his family and hanging out with his three best friends. And Quinn a white jock of the same age who now takes care of his younger brother since his dad died in Afghanistan. Rashad and Quinn don't know each other, but they both find themselves together at the local convenience store before the party starts. That's when Quinn witnesses Rashad getting brutally and unjustly beaten by a police officer. Their paths don't cross, but they become entirely intertwined. That's the plot of today's feature for the Belshi Band Book Club, New York Times bestseller All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley. It's fiction. Written for a young adult audience, but it could very well be true, because black and brown Americans subjected to racism and police brutality in this country is a story that we have heard again and again and again. But the true power of all American boys comes from its two narrators and its two unique points of view. The introductory chapters highlight to the reader just how normal the two boys are. Parties, relationships, sports, the push and pull of parents. Then with the flying fists of a police officer, the tenor changes completely. Rashad's character and perspective shifts to be much more immediate. Quote, he shoved me through the door, slammed me to the ground, face first, hurt so bad the pain was a color, white, with a crunching sound in my ear as bones in my nose cracked. My brain exploded into a million thoughts and only one thought at the same time. Please don't kill me. Quinn is a bystander. 
and has written with that in mind. He witnesses the attack from barely 20 feet away and remains that far throughout the book. Ultimately, Quinn is a sympathetic character with high stakes, just not when compared to his counterpart, Rashad. And that's precisely the point. All American Boys drives home the fact that the problems white and black people face regarding racism are vastly different. Of course, All American Boys has been targeted for ban many times since its publication in 2015, even hitting the American Library Association's top 10 list in 2020. The book sparked a debate in Rhode Island. One parent requested All American Boys be removed from the ninth grade English curriculum, citing its profanity, drug references, and the vilification of police, adding, quote, let's not teach our children to vilify the people we trust and pay to keep us safe. The dark irony in condemning a book that grapples with white privilege by invoking white privilege. All American Boys has received rave reviews and numerous awards, including the Coretta Scott King Award and the Walter Dean Myers Award. Many of these reviews describe the book using one word, timely. It doesn't feel sufficient to merely sum up All American Boys that way. It's part of a new canon of young adult literature that's pushing the conversation surrounding race, spurring deeper self-reflection, and with enough of those two things, perhaps also something else, real change. I'm thrilled to be joined by uh, Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley, authors of the award-winning New York Times bestseller, All American Boys. Gentlemen, good to see you. Thank you for being with us. Let's start with how this book came to be. I read an account from NPR that you two ended up sharing a hotel room as pretty much strangers the very same day George Zimmerman was acquitted of the murder of Trayvon Martin. Tell me a bit about how some of that may have led to the book. Well, we were on tour together. Uh, we were promoting our first novels, and it just happened to be in 2014. And during 2014, as you know, there were lots of things happening. Besides the acquittal there, this is the year that Michael Brown was killed, um, and all sorts of acts of police violence were taking place in our country. This is when sort of Black Lives Matter movement started to sort of stir up, and things of that nature. Ferguson was happening, all the different uprisings, Freddie Gray. Um, and I'm on tour with Brendan, who is a white man, obviously, and furthermore, a white man that I do not know. My mom is concerned and my family is concerned and over drinks at the bar at one night as we're trying to decompress from tour. Um, we finally had this conversation. Ali, you know better than most. We all know that politics and religion are off the table when, sure. when you're just getting to know someone. <laughs> But, but but this was the elephant in the room. And so as we finally started to lean into the conversation, it was a watershed moment for both of us because we finally got to sort of air our feelings. Um, and it was in that moment that I, I realized that this person that I had been a little reticent about had an uncanny ability to listen. And that was sort of the impetus in the beginning of what would become All American Boys. Which is remarkable because that difference of perspective around the same story is thematic in the book. Brendan, how'd that same experience that Jason just talked about, how, how did that work out for you that night? You know, what? I really appreciated your introduction to the book, Allie, because I think it's uh, really important for folks to understand the value of a dialogue in a novel. And just to reiterate what Jason was saying, one of the realities of our getting to know each other was, Jason, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but, you know, the fact that your mother um, was concerned as you were traveling around the country. And as you had shared with me and as I've heard from her later, right, that she was concerned that there might be a George Zimmerman out there for you as you were traveling around the country as a young black man. And she called you with that fear. And to put things as clearly as possible about the difference or the, uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. said in 1968 at Gross Point High School, the two Americas living side by side, my mother didn't call me. 
my mother wouldn't have cause to have that same concern. Right. And so for me in that conversation, right, it it is desperately important that I spend my time as a white man listening to black families telling me about the reality they experience every day. So we're going to talk a lot about the book, but I want to jump to the end of the book, Jason. Quinn, Rashad mm-hmm. and their stories are so intertwined. And yet there's that sort of 20 feet away thing, right, that they never actually meet each other. The last few pages of the book, we switch perspectives between the two boys at a racial justice rally. They're both there. They're close, not together. I, I want to understand from you, Jason, what were you trying to convey with that ending? First of all, Ali, this is the only book club I've ever been to where you spoiled the book. I've never experienced this before, right? <laughs> oh, I, I'm not telling you exactly what happened. I'm just, I'm telling you, I, I want to know how you got there. Don't tell me what happens next at all. <laughs> well, the, the way we got there, you know, there were a few things that Brendan and I wanted to be very clear about when we started to make this book. And one of those things was we wanted to um, push as far away as possible the idea of the white savior. We didn't want Quinn and Rashad to meet and then suddenly there's this kumbaya moment, right? There's this moment where all is well with the world. Now we can shake hands, pat ourselves on the back, be ebony and ivory and go off into the sunset, right? Because that's not actually reality and we, and we respect young people too much to, to tie something up in that way. The other thing that's even more important though is that we wanted to drive home the point that you don't need to actually know a person to care about their well-being. That it shouldn't matter that you don't live in Ferguson, Missouri, mm-hmm. for you to care about what happened to Michael Brown. It shouldn't matter that it may never actually touch your doorstep for you to be concerned about the welfare of your brothers and sisters of color out here in this world. I mean, it's that simple. And so we wanted to illustrate that subtly and nuanced in that scene. Uh, let's talk, Brennan, about the title. The double entendre, the phrase all-American with a hyphen, evokes imagery of Americana, picket fences, baseball. Uh, Quinn describes himself that way repeatedly. The title doesn't have a hyphen. It's referring to all American boys, not all hyphen American boys, including Rashad. Tell me about the, the thinking that went into that, if much did. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, we we bring it up in the book a number of times, and there are lots of conversations about all-American and what that means. And I, I think a lot about... Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a child actor and model. <laughs> Didn't work out, but I, I did a very, very little bit. I did a few commercials and print ads, but I'll never forget a casting director who said, oh, yes, Brendan, we'd like to hire you because you, Brendan, look like the all-American boy. And the implicit racism in that, that there is one single image, that there, that definite article uh, defines this, is part of what we're playing within the title of the book, right? That's absurd and racist to reduce things to that way. And I remember a conversation that Jason and I were having about the title at one point, and, you know, and Jason saying that term, All-American, kind of felt like a slur because it felt exclusive the way that it was so often used in, in pop culture. And so we wanted to play with this take away the hyphen and talk about all. I'm a father. I have a three and a half year old son, and I want him to embrace images of leadership and heroism that don't just look like him, but uh, include all American boys and girls and folks who identify across the gender spectrum. All American Boys opens with uh, two quotes, Jason. Quote, history can only teach its lesson if it is remembered from Carmelo Soto. And if I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I am only for myself, what am I? From Hillel the Elder. Having these two parallel quotes sets the scene for the formatting of the book, different perspectives, but why these specific quotes? 
I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, these are sort of the cornerstones of, of this novel, you know, I, and there are a few others in the book, I think, that, that are just as comparable, some images and some scenery. We're talking about Invisible Man. Uh, we're thinking about Aaron Douglas, right? But I think these quotes, the idea that, that especially, I, I love that Hillel quote, right? This idea that, like, yes, it is true that I have to be for me, but if I am only for me, right, if I am only for me, um, then we are all doomed. We know this already. The, hum the human experience is one that is connective. The human experience is one that is communal, even if we try our hardest to fight against that communal aspect and that, that community, right? The truth of the matter is the only way that we continue to exist as people, let alone as people with, with, with healthy lives and healthy communication and fairness and freedoms and, and liberty, right? There has to be the acknowledgement of the people around you who might be different, but who actually aren't much different. Right, when it all whittles down to it, right? We're different, so our details are different. But the general consensus about what we want for our lives are all the same for the most yep. part around the world, not yes. just in this country. I was about to say, that's not even just an American thing. That's a, that's a global thing. Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kylie, authors of the New York Times bestseller, All American Boys. Don't go anywhere. We're continuing this crucial conversation with another amazing book, Dear Martin by Nick Stone. Dear Martin centers around a teen who faces a gutting instance of police brutality. He turns to the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for guidance. It's emotional, really good. This is Velshi Van Book Club. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. I've got a story for you. Justice McAllister, known as Just to his friends, is Yale-bound. He's a high school student, top of his class. He's a black scholarship student from a lower-income neighborhood who attends a prep school in Atlanta. Despite grappling with being a minority in a predominantly white, wealthy high school, Just feels sure-footed. He's just weeks away from holding that hard-earned high school diploma in his hands. He's got friends and a community, but then he's violently racially profiled by a white police officer, thrown to the pavement and handcuffed without so much as a question or an opportunity to ask one. Suddenly, the ground beneath Justice's feet doesn't feel quite so solid. As a coping mechanism and a means to gather his thoughts, he begins to write letters to the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Dear Martin asking himself, what would MLK do if he were alive today? This is not the latest story of police aggression toward a black teen. It could be, but it's the plot of Nick Stone's New York Times best-selling novel, Dear Martin. It's the second featured book on today's Velshi Band Book Club. 
You cannot Google Dear Martin without seeing how extensively the book has been censored and banned. A group of parents in Minnesota removed their children from an English class entirely over it. A teacher in Missouri was effectively fired over the lesson plan surrounding the book. The mother of a sophomore at Tuscola High School in North Carolina defended her own calls to ban the book by citing, quote, a lot of language and a lot of sexual innuendos. For reference, the first chapter of Dear Martin contains about five curse words and a couple of slangy references to teen intimacy. I'm pretty sure the average 10th grade student hears more than that between classes. Moreover, the book is written and marketed for a 14 and up audience. It's age appropriate. This is the pattern that we see again and again. A parent blames profanity or sex, but the reality is more like this. They don't want to see the world changing. And the very existence of books like Dear Martin proved that the world is already a different place. Sometimes these parents or school boards call for a different book, something historic, something they might have read when they were in high school to explore these complex issues. And while there is certainly space for Tom Sawyer or To Kill a Mockingbird, these books do not reflect modern America, particularly for black youth and the white students with whom they interact. Dear Martin actually does. The book is fundamentally realistic. It honestly portrays a black high school student's experience with not only racism, but life. At 17 years old in the 21st century, Dear Martin humanizes those tragically frequent headlines. I'm sure Juss is far more similar to the son of the North Carolina mother who wanted the book banned than even she would like to admit. Both Juss and that woman's sons are likely grappling with identity and the frightening precipice of adulthood. The difference is that Juss's struggles are literally about life and death. Don't take my word for it. Ask some of our Velshi Band Book Club members. Barbara Hawkins, a 73-year-old former college professor, wrote to us with her reactions to Dear Martin, saying the book, quote, enlightened my understanding of the lived experience of young black men. Isn't that what books are supposed to do? Or Sharon Harris, who wrote in saying, quote, this novel depicts a young black man in a very real and relevant yet nuanced characterization. Joining me now is Nick Stone, author of a number of celebrated books, including New York Times bestseller and today's Velshi Band book club title, Dear Martin. And uh, Nick, I have to say, your book is great and I enjoyed reading it. I I'm puzzled by why it's banned. It's visceral. It's real. It's, I mean, unless you're a super prude, it uses language and references that everybody uses. If any parent doesn't think their kid uh, knows about stuff like this, that's just weird and prudish and out of sync with any. What's your sense of why this book is banned? Honestly, I think people are afraid. Um, and I say this as a parent myself. I have a fourth grader and a kindergartner. And like, I understand the impulse and the instinct to want to keep your children safe and innocent. The difference between my children and the parents of children who can cry out against this book is that they have to know the information in the book to stay safe. Mine have to know this information. So my hope is that instead of leaning into this fear that your kids are gonna be exposed to something in a book that they're likely already exposed to in the world, parents would lean into the idea of compassion and being interested in other people's stories. It's interesting. Just 
your justice, the, the character uh, around whom the book is written, the, his run in with the white police officer is literally in the first pages of the book. And, and at one point, uh, it even says, Mama told him how to handle this type of situation, though he must admit he never expected to actually need the advice. Be respectful. Keep the anger in check. Make sure the police can say, see your hands, though that's impossible right now because he was handcuffed. And he says, Officer Castillo, I mean, no res- disrespect. And he never even got the words out. Uh, a lot of people who read that said, that was hard to read for them because we've been watching it on TV. We see videos of that now all the time. This is a 17-year-old black kid who is running into something we now know to actually be real in America all the time. Why can't parents allow their children to know that that's what happens to brown and black kids? I mean, I think because it's real is part of the reason people are running from it. You know, it's hard to grapple with some of the things that we're seeing on TV. There's a part of the book where uh, Justice's teacher is telling him about why there's this new segment going on. And uh, this this guy is on the news talking about justice being a thug. You know, it's, it's a similar story to what we were seeing over the years as these black boys were shot down by police. Mm-hmm. We get this negative view of them in the media. But what the teacher says is that it's difficult for a lot of people who identify with the aggressor to, uh, to admit <laughs> that the aggressor did what they did because that means that the person who can identify with the the aggressor could also potentially do what the aggressor did. Did that make sense? It's like, because I see that you're like me and you did this horrible thing, that means I'm capable of doing this horrible thing. So I'd rather just pretend like you didn't do it. I want to talk about Justice's letters to Martin Luther King Jr. Diaries or journals or something that actually mental health professionals often suggest as a tool to work through trauma or just actually help with day-to-day life. You were a psych major at Spelman College. Um, why did you have Justice's entries be directed toward Martin Luther King, which is the title, really, Dear Martin? That's how he starts the letters to Martin Luther King. What was that about? That Was that, was that just a journal or was it a device to do something else? It was a little bit of both. So I kept a journal when I was in high school and it was very helpful to me getting through things. But also um, in 2014, when Michael Brown was killed and the Black Lives Matter movement kicked off, I kept seeing high profile public figures basically using Dr. King's words to object to things that Dr. King has you know, on record participated in. Right. Mm. So like he's the father of nonviolent protest. So to see people say things like Dr. King would never take a freeway. Dr. King took quite a few freeways, you know, so I wanted to reclaim his legacy a little bit, because I feel like when we think and talk about Dr. King these days, there's almost this softness to the edges. Uh Um, He was the most disliked man in America mm-hmm. in the 1960s. You know, like we revere him now, but that wasn't the case back then. So having justice right to him and kind of look at his philosophies up close came from me being really angry about hearing Dr. King's quotes misappropriated. I want to finish with one of the notes that just writes to uh, dear Martin, Martin Luther King. It says, It's like I'm trying to climb a mountain, but I've got one fool trying to shove me down so I won't be on his level and another fool tugging at my leg trying to pull me to the ground. He refuses to leave. Jared and Trey are only two people. But after today, I know that when I head to Yale next fall, because I am going there, I'm going to be paranoid about people looking at me and wondering if I'm qualified to be there. How do I work against this, Martin? 
Getting real with you, I feel a little defeated. Knowing there are people who don't want me to succeed is depressing, especially coming from two directions. You and I made an appointment to have this conversation many, 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 many weeks ago. And yet when we heard the confirmation hearings of Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, she said the same thing about her time at Harvard. I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I fit in. And someone looked at her and said to persevere. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. You know, I grew up similar to justice. I found myself in spaces where I was the only African-American student. And like there are scenes from the book that I pulled from my own life. What I will say, though, is there is hope. You know, if I had to say what the thesis of Dear Martin is on page 152, there are these two lines. You can't change how other people think and act, but you're in full control of you. When it comes down to it, the only question that matters is this. If nothing in the world ever changes, what type of person are you going to be? And justice kind of has to come to that realization that he is in control of how he sees himself and how he carries himself through the world. Nick Stone, thanks for your patience. It's been a long time waiting to have this conversation with you. Nick Stone is the author of Dear Martin. Next time on Velshi Band Book Club, a woman who hardly needs an introduction, Margaret Atwood. Best known for her seminal novel, The Handmaid's Tale, Atwood has written dozens of other works, including a modern adaptation of William Shakespeare's The Tempest, another band book, if you can believe it. The Handmaid's Tale is more than just a beautifully written modern classic. It sends a startling message, one that we need to listen to as a nation right now before it's too late. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode of Velshi Band Book Club. You can also catch Velshi on MSNBC every weekend at 10 a.m. Eastern. The writer and producer of this podcast is Hannah Holland. Our booking producer is Lily Corvo. Associate producers are Chanel Adams, Nicole McReynolds, Samantha Brown, and Jen Maris Perez. Production assistant is Eunice Atacoya. Our senior producers are Jared Blake, Dina Moss, and Alicia Conley. Rebecca Dryden is our executive producer. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Our audio engineer is Cedric Wilson. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for Velshi Band Book Club wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.